0: Hello and welcome back to Tani Talks Radio, brought to you by Sheer Enjoyment Radio, powered by Radio.co. This is the Sheer, or the show, depending on the week, where we talk some topics, or a topic for the week, for the audience members to keep. Some weeks we do just topics and try to tie it into Torah and Judaism, other weeks we do legit Shi topics with a lot of sources specifically but either way we try to tie it into a topic for the audience member to keep we have many ways of hearing the show the sheer on the sheer enjoyment radio app brought to you by radio.co on the google play store and on the apple app store you can listen to us at the streamer.radio.co link slash s33c91f0e4 slash listen you can listen to us on the sheer enjoyment radio station on Naki radio, that awesome jewish internet kosher radio player we have the home and we love it you can also listen to us at 520 4538302. You can send us a message at sheerenjoymentradio enjoyment radio at gmail.com. sheerenjoymentradio enjoyment radio at gmail.com. Could also listen to us on the j root app, the j root website or the j root channel on sheer enjo- on, on Naki radio excuse me many different ways to listen to us, but why wait till Monday nights at eight thirty there 's content all the time on the sheer Enjoyment radio app on Google Play and Apple app. We have the shows streaming and we have them looped back to back to hear content all the time. If you love our content, you could hear it anytime on the show. You could give it some time in the beginning and end sometimes there's a few minutes for a transition but it doesn't mean the content's not there it's there all day except for Yom Tov and Shabbos of course. Blainetter God willing more shows in the future. You could also listen to us anytime on the podcast channel jewishpodcast.fm. Tani talks Parsha, Tani talks OT, Tani talks Pirkei Avos. Tani talks Daf, Tani talks Life is what is under the radio show in general. The radio of course is live weekly at 8.30, but you can listen to us. You could also join our WhatsApp group. If you're interested in sponsoring or donating, send me an email, maximumtee at yahoo.com, maximumtee at yahoo.com. You could hear the podcast all the time. You could hear the streams of the previous radio shows all the time. But thank you so much for joining us here on Tani Talks Radio, brought to you by Sheer Enjoyment Radio, powered by Radio.co. This week... On this episode of Tani Talks Radio. Brought to you by Sheer Enjoyment Radio. Powered by Radio.co. I want to talk consolation. We come off the heels of Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av is a very, very difficult day. We talked about this on the dof show. The power of the Lam and Bet Lave. It's no coincidence. There's no coincidence in life. There's no coincidence in Jewish life especially. The dof that falls out happens to be... Of course, Hashem makes it this way. The daft that falls out on Tisha B'av is that of Lave. So I talked about on the Tani Talk staff how they talk about a common characteristic in the Daf and we tied it into life, how we all have common characteristics and we have one heart, one nation, Lave. If we would all have one heart, one nation and everyone would look out for one another and help one another and do chesed in our towns, and our communities, the whole world would be better. We talked about yesterday and today, the post-Tisha B'Av, Shire, on the daft it came up... To talk about the idea of beating and talk about beatings quote-unquote, we'll talk about that in a little bit, a little more. The idea being that there, if there's a limit to something, you can endure it. If there's no limit to something, it's impossible to endure. If someone's going to be tortured for years, no one can endure it. But if someone knows, God forbid, it's just for a couple of minutes. It's just for a couple of, uh, a little while time, they can endure it. That's why Malchus versus a different punishment the Gemara talks about can be more difficult or less difficult, depending how you look at it. And I was talking about how we know that the Geula has to come. We're in Ikveh Dish Meshicha. It should be some consolation where's the consolation now it should be some consolation on some level that we know that some sources say by six thousand mashiach has to come whether we deserve it or not and if we deserve it it should come much much sooner we know that we can almost smell taste and hear the geula and the coming of mashiach if you will where's the consolation now we should know that every day every week every month every year we're closer to Mashiach. We're closer to the Binyan Besamigdash, maybe speedily in our days. After experiencing Tishabov and experiencing so much tragedy, what is the hope? What is the consolation we can have going into the next days and going into Tubal, which is one of the most major Shidduch days of the whole year? Interestingly, only a few days after the most tragic day of the whole year because after destruction always comes rebirth. After devastation comes rebuilding, and if the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed because of sin China, we talk about this on a lot of the Shiram on the different podcasts, what would be the way to rebuild the Beis HaMikdash, to rebuild the world? Of course, it would have to be Ahavas China. dor vador. in every generation, we talked about this last week, and we talk about this all the time. In every generation that the base of Megdash is not rebuilt, it was as if it was destroyed in our generation. And if it was destroyed because of Avodah Zor, Agilio Rice, and and Shvil before, because of the first base of Megdash, and it was destroyed because of Sinat Chinam, because of the second base of Megdash, by definition, by implication, by derivation, the actual problem is still here. So we have to solve it. We have to find the solution. That means we have to have good, wonderful relationships with our spouses, with our kids, with our friends. We have to value every life. We have to have proper... Morals in the world. We have to have proper service of Hashem, and we have to have proper ahavat chinam. Talked about that a lot last week. And be a good sport. But the consolation could be that we have the ability to rebuild the world. Ahavat chinam, ahava for one another. The consolation could be that we have the ability to lay every brick, every brick. Excuse me, of the Beis Hamikdash. We have the ability to lay the foundation and to build up the Mikdash in our days. We. Can be the pioneers after experiencing tisha and destruction we can be involved in the rebirth and we could be involved in the rebuilding if there was sin make sure there's a lot of ahavat china with everyone you interact with with the security guard the crossing guard, the barista the bank teller the person that drives you in the uber the person that interacts with you in school and work at wherever you are going wherever you are coming and going that should be on the agenda after experiencing Tisha B'Av and about all we lost throughout all the millennia, including the temples, the Batei Mekdashim, the horror of Jewish history, especially the Holocaust, the question really should become, and the question does become, where's the consolation now? Hashem, where is the consolation? So much was lost. So much was destroyed. So much is gone. Where is the consolation? How do we feel any consolation prize? We have lost so much as a nation. Personally, people have lost so much in their personal lives. The nation has lost personally so many gedolim. Throughout the past years, you think about Rav Tads was taken from us, Rav Twersky was taken from us, and then there was so many other people, I don't want to name names because I'm going to forget many, but our community, Rav of Kelmer, also was taken from us, and globally we lost so much, and there's so much terribleness, and so much destruction, so much difficulty, how can we feel consolation? So I want to think about the famous phrase in Judaism, before the Makkah, Hashem sends the Rafua Lefnei Maka Hashem... That's not the proper conjugation, not the proper verbiage, of course. I'm not an expert in Hebrew, in Evrit. My wife is much better at that than me. But in general, we think about that concept. We think about how oftentimes Hashem lays the groundwork for the rebirth, for the rebuilding. A classic key example is that before someone loses a job, another job is offered to him. Before someone signs off on something else, something else is in the works. I will give a personal example. When we... We're looking to move to Long Island, to our wonderful, wonderful town here in Long Island, in the middle of Long Island. We were looking at many different houses. Number one was about 16. Our oldest son, number two, was on the way. And we felt like it was time to get out of Brooklyn. We were in Brooklyn for about three and a half years in a beautiful, wonderful apartment. But it was a junior four. It had a a master bedroom. It had a little office bedroom. It had the bathroom and the kitchen and the living slash dining room and a foyer. A foyer. But, you know, we felt like it was time to get out. No more dealing with the nonsense of the parking for 40 hours, 45 minutes, an hour. You can't leave past 7 o'clock. Don't move the car. What are you, bananas? You're not going to find a parking spot. Anyone who's from Brooklyn who has an apartment knows what I'm talking about. You cannot leave from that spot at that time. So we felt like that was crazy to do that anymore. It's high time to get out. So... Every week for about eight months, every Sunday, pretty much, we would look at every house available on the market. 34 houses we looked at till we finally found this house. There was a time where we were ready to put down to get the house. We were this close to getting the house. It was a very nice house. I used my own self, my own body to measure if our dining table would fit, if a couch would fit. I guess the host, the, the, The owner probably didn't like that so much. There was a living room, and then there was a dining room slash dining area. Upstairs were very nice bedrooms. Excuse me for that falling piece of uh, of material. Always something falling in our house with little kids. Anyway, so it was a very nice house. There was a finished attic, a finished basement. We thought we were good to go. It's a nice location. We... we the money for the guy to inspect the house. We have a verbal agreement with the owner. We're all ready to go. We hire our lawyer. We're like literally about to get the house. And the lawyer draws up the contract, sends it to us, sends it to the owner. And then the owner ghosts us the owner basically backs out and we're like what is going on here we had a verbal agreement he was going to sell us the house we're all ready to go we like the house it's a very cute house it's what we want the bathroom on the first floor the second floor and the basement you know we're ready to go what happened turns out, he sends a very snarky, very small snippet of an email. There was someone else who offered me more money, even though I know we had a verbal agreement, and we basically shook on it, and I knew we were going to give it, but this lady came back. She offered me 10 more, 15 more, 20 more. If you want to go higher, maybe I'll give it to you. Suffice it to say, at that time, we felt like we couldn't go any higher, and my wife and I were devastated, but it turns out that a friend of the family, who doesn't usually work in residential real estate usually works in commercial real estate she happened to see a house that she felt like was perfect for us before it went on the market she had us come in on a friday i think to come see it and this house is the house we ended up getting even though we felt the mock, we felt the hit of this house. We really thought we were going to get, what we really wanted, it was taken away from us. Hashem already was playing the groundwork, laying the groundwork down to give us the better house. The house that we currently live in now for over five years. And we bar Hashem, we love it. It is good for us. Obviously, it's not a mansion, but listen, nowadays with kids and tuition, you got to do what you got to do. A modest house is a modest house, is a good house. But at the time, Hashem was already laying the groundwork, even though we felt hit. By Joe Schlow, leaving us high and dry, taking away the house. Hashem was already laying down the groundwork of someone who never works in residential. It happens to be this one time hashkacha. She found the house before it went to market. If it would have gone to market, we never would have got it. We went to a, a house opening one time. We went to a, a showing of a house, an open house one time. We were going up to the attic and I knock my head, because Baruch Hashem, I'm six feet tall, and it's not meant for a six-foot tall person. The guy in front of us was walking with his wife. He turns around and he rudely says, that's a sign they're not going to get the house. That's a sign we're going to get the house. You see, that guy just banged his head. You could tell. That's a sign. Really nasty people in the world, no? So, you know, there's a lot of difficulties involved in finding a house. A lot of nasty people you'll meet. A lot of nice people you'll meet also. A lot of hashkacha involved. But at the time... We didn't know when we were hit with the loss of that house that Hashem already was laying the groundwork. Just give it a few days, Tani. Give it a few weeks. You'll see we found a better house for you that has an actual dining room, a better house for you that has a little more storage than the other house would have, a little more capability for you, even better location than the other one. It's a little closer even to the big shop, a little closer to the pizza store, a little closer to the gun that you're going to eventually send your kids to. Hold on, Tani. You'll see. That for me is a very personal example of consolation on a small level. Where's the consolation now? You took away this. It took us eight months to find a good house, Hashem. What is the deal on a small materialistic level? And then Hashem says, no, we have another one better for you that's better suited for your family, a better backyard setup, a better house setup, a better situation. Just wait and see. On a global level, there's a much bigger example. The devastation, the destruction, the tragedy, the horrors of the Holocaust. What is Hashem already laying the groundwork down for for centuries, for millennia, for years to happen right after the Shoah, right after the Holocaust, right after World War II? What happens never before seen in modern Jewish history within three years, the, uh, the beginning of the modern state of Israel, of Eretz Yisrael, being reborn, being rebuilt literally three years after the loss of six million holy, beautiful Jewish souls, Hashem already was laying it down. Before the Maka is the Rafua. You see these beautiful pictures of these of these old timers and not old timers in 48 listening to the radio ha-kamat ha-madina Hashem. David Ben-Gurion getting up and talking about the Hakam of the Medina having the righteous chutzpah to do so and you see the beautiful footage of the people listening and breaking out into song and dance when they see this beautiful thing happen in modern Jewish history so sometimes the consolation you just have to wait a little bit a little bit of patience a little bit of savlanut you'll see this Consolation. You'll see where it's coming from. You know they say if if Adam and Chava just would have waited a little bit, they would have had the ability maybe to eat from one of the Eitzim, maybe not the eights of Adas or the eights of Chachma, the v- but v- v- whatever, but. Some people also would have said if, Sha'ol, if Shmuel would have waited a little bit, if David would have waited a little bit, if, if people throughout history would have waited just a little bit, they would have got it. It's difficult for people to wait. It's very tough for people to wait. Did you ever see the marshmallow test in psychology? You tell a kid, you can have one marshmallow now. If you wait five minutes, I'll give you two marshmallows. And then he leaves the room, you see the kid itching, looking at the the marshmallow, scratching himself, like, pinching himself. I can't do it, I can't do it. Johnny, five minutes, you'll get two marshmallows twice as much. I can't do it. And he gobbles down the marshmallow. Immediate gratification is all about secular society. I want it, and I want it now. I need it, and I need it now. That's the difficulty with all people, with whatever struggle a person goes with. I need that, I need it now. I want that cheeseburger bad, I want it now. No. You wait a couple of years, there'll be the the invention of the impossible burger. You can have your cheeseburger, fake meat, real cheese. Or you could have fake cheese and real meat. Just wait a few years for the invention, you'll get it. No. I need it right now. The immediate gratification versus delayed gratification is very, very difficult in life for all of us with whatever we're struggling. But where's the consolation now? Sometimes you have to wait a little bit for the consolation. It might be two years. It might be three years. It might be five weeks. It might be five minutes. It's very hard for people to wait. I will tell you personally, it's very difficult for me. This concept, this Fine five concept that I've been working on for three years, it's very difficult for me not to get a response. If someone ghosts me, forget about it. Very difficult for me not to get a response. You know, all these papers and these magazines and these newspapers and these publishers I've reached out to time and time and time again. It's very hard to hear, no, we don't like it. It's not good enough art. It's too flat. It's not what our paper is looking for. We're not publishing at this time. Very difficult for me to wait for responses, especially Fievel, which is this Jewish search-and-seek-and-find concept that I have for, for years now. We got it published once in a Jewish newspaper in New Jersey, so we can say it was published, Bar Hashem. Very difficult, though, to wait. Very difficult. Where's the consolation? How can I do it? I reached out to so many people. I want it to be done right now. Very difficult for right now. But think about how, if you wait, Hashem will send it. Before the mock, Hashem sends the refuah. Many oftentimes... That happens, you know, Hashem opens the the eyes of those in history. Even Lahavdel Yishmal and his mom there in the desert, Hashem opens her eyes and she sees a well. Some commentators say that she saw what was already there, but she just didn't notice it. It says Vayisa Enav, you know, Avram raises his eyes and then he sees a ram caught in the thicket of the bush. Wasn't it there already? He might not have seen it. He has to look and find it. It was already there, but you have to look. Before the pain hits, before the hurt hits, Hashem sends the salvation. Oftentimes we can't see it, oftentimes we can't fathom it, but many times in retrospect it is there. You know, had I not been in that right spot at the right time, I never would have run into so-and-so. Had I not reached out to who, what, and what, where, I never would have seen it. You know, even a small example, it's there all the time. My wife has always wanted to be a writer, and com sent out a beautiful advertisement a couple of a weeks ago, a couple of months ago. I saw it, I sent it to my wife, and Baruch Hashem, Hashem, Hashem allowed my wife to be published three times on H.com. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. One of them is about... Why I love being a middle child. One of them is called the writing on the. Uh, why we let our kids write on the wall. Another one is like don't judge me. Three times she was published Baruch Hashem. And if I didn't see that advertisement, you know, a lot of times she felt the un- inability to write. But Hashem was already preparing that Eish H-A had to go out years in advance. Sometimes it just takes some patience. Savlonun. If everybody would have a little patience in history, a little patience. You know, I was reading the Ain Yaakov from Gittin yesterday on Tisha B'av, which I thought was a very apropos thing to read I only got through like 20 pages there's like 50 or 60 we're going to read a, an excerpt together God willing in a minute but very interesting stuff that goes into it you know if the Baryanim the people that were opposing the sages if they would have just waited instead of hastily destroyed all the food they could have warded off the Romans for an extra 21 days there were three rich people in Yerushalayim during the Khorban and they had enough money and enough supplies enough ability to stave off the Romans for three weeks, 21 days. One of the Baryonim went and in his religious zeal to get everyone to fight, literally burnt all the storehouses, forcing everyone into poverty, forcing everyone into starvation. He thought he'd get everyone to fight. All he did was make them all weak and die from starvation. If he just said the patience to let the rabbis play it out, to let the rabbis appeal to the Romans, to let the storehouses be used, the whole history could have been different. Patience is a virtue. Patience is something needed. Where's the consolation now? Sometimes it's not right now, but sometimes you can see things right now. It's all how we look in retrospect. John loses his job at Winthrop, but not before he's offered a job at Northwell. Josh is kicked out of Citibank, but only after Chase makes a better offer to him. Sometimes you look at the consolation, you look at the full picture, you see the side picture, you can see things coming through. Hashem the consolation could be if we think about what Hashem did on Tisha B'av, he could have easily wiped out the whole nation or he could have wiped out a part of the nation in the Midbar he wiped out a whole generation because of the Meraglim he could have done it again during the Korban, but instead he took out his rage his wrath his anger on sticks and stones instead of on us as humans that itself should be a consolation Hashem in his love for us instead of destroying us as a people even though we probably rightfully deserved it he took out The Wrath on the Sticks and Stones. As our scroll explains in Ein Yaakov, on Gitin, A fascinating thing. It's called Inside A, The Message of the Bleeding Parochas. You know, Titus comes in, the wicked titus, Titus of Russia. Does a lot of bad things. You know, he takes... A lot of bad things into the base of migdash not for here and now, but the Roman blasphemer slashed the holy parochus, and the blood that spurted from the gash gave the outward appearance of his having vanquished the god of Israel, God forbid. But outward appearances are often deceiving, and so it was here as well. According to Toso, cited in a different note, the true purpose was to demonstrate Hashem's pain as it were, over the imminent destruction of the base of Amikdash. According to Rev Isaac Sher, there was a further message in this miracle. As great as the calamity of the base of Amikdash's destruction was, it was in truth a great benefit to the nation. Why? For as the sages of Chachamim teach, the destruction spared the Jewish people from the more horrific fate of annihilation. By rights their lives should have been forfeited on account of their sins. Instead, Hashem poured out His wrath on the now lifeless physical structure of the temple. As the sages point out, they were beating an already dead horse. They were vanquishing an already vanquished structure. The scripture alludes to this benefit in Tehillim, in Ayantet, which prophetically foretells the destruction of the base in a Tehillim that bears the heading of a song, a mizmor. A song? Wouldn't a lamentation, an Echa, a have been more appropriate? The Medrash offers a parable, a story to explain this curious heading. A king made an elaborate wedding canopy for his son. But the son was ungrateful and defiant toward him, provoking the king's anger. Whereupon the king vented his wrath by ripping the canopy to shreds. Afterwards, the king said, Was it not good that I directed my anger at the wedding canopy and thereby spared my son from the death he deserved? So to the destruction of the Beshimikdras was, in one sense, a cause for song, saw a cause for consolation. Where's the consolation now? Think about what Hashem did instead of destroying us. It was a cause for song because Hashem spared his people from death and instead he directed his His anger, his wrath, at the wooden stones of the base Hamigdash. As Kharaba points out, see also Rashi, see also Rashi to Kedushan. Hashem wished his wrath to be poured out on the base Hamigdash through his Roman agents. But the base of HaMegdush in its ideal state was unsusceptible to the tools of human destruction, for the base of HaMegdush was not a mere palatial edifice, but rather a kind of living entity, a breathing living entity with a spiritual core where Hashem rested, which raised it beyond the realm of physical constraints or assault for a lengthy treatment of this. You can see elsewhere. In order for the base of English to be burned by the Romans, its spiritual essence had to first be removed from it, thereby reducing it to a mere physical structure capable of being shattered and burned. And so, in his mercy, Hashem removed that spiritual essence so that he could then pour out his wrath on the wood and stones and thereby spare the Jewish nation from the more devastating fate of annihilation, God forbid. This was the message of the bleeding parochas when Titus Harasha stabbed it. For just as the human soul departs the human body when its blood gushes forth, so too did the blood spurting from the parochas indicate that Hashem had taken away the soul of the base of so that it would now be a mere corpse of wood and stone that would be the object of His wrath instead of the Jewish people. How beautiful a way of looking at the destruction of, and the korban itself of Tisha B'av. Instead of seeing it just as something we lost, see it as something Hashem did instead that we gained. We gained Hashem pouring out His wrath on something that was of physical nature once the spirit was taken out, once the neshama was taken out of it. Hashem could have easily hurt us, but the consolation, where's the consolation now, could be that Hashem took out His wrath, His anger, on something that was physical in nature instead of the Jewish people. As we also mentioned in today's daf, we, we, we hinted to this earlier. In today's TTD, in today's Tiny Talk Stuff, we began talking about how beatings, quote-unquote, a beating with limits can be withstood. Hashem sends us yonas, Hashem sends us n- Yisurin. And they should only be easy, simple Yisurin, like reaching into my pocket to take out a diamond instead instead take out a quarter. Ah, come on! Or reaching out to take a quarter in the pocket and instead taking out a dime. Come on! that should be the greatest discern we should ever, ever have. You know, we should be Zohar, that that should be the greatest discern we ever have. But beatings, quote-unquote, without limit cannot be withstood. Each beating, quote-unquote, and difficulty, quote-unquote, given to us by Hashem, actually leads us closer to the gula. We know it has to come soon. We are in the heels of the Ikvei de Mashiach. We are in the heels of Mashiach. Ikvei de Mashiach, heels of the Mashiach. We are there. We are almost there. We can hear his footsteps almost. We can sense his presence. We can almost smell his presence, if you will. Of Mashiach's time. Some sources say it has to come by the year six thousand. We're already in five hundred seventy eight oh or five seven eight two. I, I can't remember which one it is offhand, you know achatasi. But by six thousand, which is two hundred or so years away or even much sooner if we're Zochem, it could literally be here today. Animam and ha-Mashiach. Every day, any day, each day he can come. We should be Zohar, he comes any day. But each yisr each difficulty, each day, each week, each month we go through, we get that much closer to Mashiach. So ten generations, they were ten generations away from Mashiach or more. Now we're only a generation away or maybe a few years away, maybe a few days away, maybe a few hours away, who knows? But each time we get a little closer, each year that we have to go through the tragedy of Tisha, we get a little closer to the Mashiach. We get a little closer to the Geula. We can be consoled. Where is the consolation now? We can be consoled that oftentimes Hashem sets things up in advance to take care of matters and Hashem sends things to weigh, way and we, we go through the judgments we go through the tribulations and the trials we go through whatever He sends us and going through it, we get closer to Mashiach we get closer to the Geulah, speedily, speedily, speedily in our days in fact the prime example I see is that of the Hakamat HaMedina the, the building of the modern state of Israel where we could go to Eretz so we could actually live there and breathe there and learn there and visit these beautiful, wonderful sites like the coastal Hamaravi, it only came about three years after one of the worst destructions in modern Jewish history, if not major Jewish history. Hashem already seeded the planting, oftentimes in different situations, especially in 1948. After the Holocaust, a mere three years later, was the announcement of the modern state of Israel. After six million people were lost, were killed, were murdered by Yamach Shemo. Zichro and his army and his empire. After 6 million were lost, Hashem allowed the rebirth of the modern Jewish state. I don't even want to say empire. We call it uh, a nasty regime better. After 6 million were lost to the nasty regime, Hashem allowed the rebirth of the modern Jewish state. How incredible is that? And each war was replete with many miracles, from 48 to 56 to 67 to 73 and beyond. Hashem calls magnificent miracles yono, uh, excuse me, nisim v'neflo'o there and beyond. The fact that the Jewish people are around and thriving in spite of so many enemies, so many people that hate us, time and time again, whether it's because we're rich or because we're poor, whether because we're socialists or we're communists, whether because we're a capitalist or we're... Monarchist, whether because we're good in business or we're not good in business, there's always a scapegoat reason. But in the end, unfortunately, our greatest enemy, one of our greatest enemies, Yemach himself, in his, in his compilation, if you will call it that, in his drivel, in his work, in his pages, he himself knows, and Ravelli has quoted this to us in Musar many times before, in Yeshiva, What is the reason that many people hate the Jews? What is the reason for real anti-Semitism? It's not because we're capitalists, because oftentimes we're not. It's not because we're socialists, because many times we're not. It's not because we're rich, because many times we're not. It's not because we control the world, because really, we're not nearly enough people to do so much damage in that way. Really, it's what Yamach Shemo said. It's the moral conscience of the flesh, the moral conscience of the soul. The the non-Jews, the seculars, people in society and culture, especially in Area in Germany where you had to look a certain way and you had to be a pure blood, a certain gene and, dino, and genome and DNA. Yemach Shemam, they couldn't handle the 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 bris of the flesh and the bris of the soul. They couldn't handle the moral compass that is the Jewish people, even the most gone. Foregone Jewish soul has the it has that ethical compass on some way, and of course, the religious, the orthodox, the ultra orthodox, and many sects of society, and many regimes of society, and many aspects of society, Jewish, Judaic society, whether it's this sect or this sect. They have many aspects of their moral compass, and non-Jews who want to live a hedonistic lifestyle, want to live a materialistic lifestyle, want to live an animalistic lifestyle, they can't handle the moral compass, the Jewish compass. And inimachshua in his book, or whatever you want to call it, in his nasty pages, it's pointed out. He says that we cannot stand the moral conscience, the the moral the moral circumcision of the flesh and the circumcision of the soul we must combat that we must destroy that that's the real reason for anti-semitism there are many books written out there why the jews the reason for anti-semitism there are many works out there that tries to get to the pinpoint and blames it on external factors but really it's the one internal regime that we are an orla goyim that we're a mamlachas khan and Vigoy kadosh That we are supposed to be an oar to the nations, a light to the nations. Why do you think Israel has more UN resolutions against it than any other country in the history of the world, than any other country combined? There's like a hundred per how many years. Why? They cannot stand... What the Jewish people stand for, how they have wonderful works, how they treat people in their own society the right way and how they and the IDF stands up to the moral fiber. They can't handle it. The UN has a bunch of anti Semitisms for sure. They can't handle the moral Element of the Jewish people, and that's all these people that hate us. They cannot handle what we stand for. That we are upright citizens. Oftentimes, of course, there are outliers. we should never know from such things. They can't handle that. The consolation could be: after so much destruction, there is so much good. There's so much rebuilding. There's so much Torah learning in the world. There's so much Torah initiatives. There's so much Chesed in the world after the destruction. Of the building in Surfside, the terrible, terrible travesty, tragedy that happened over a year ago at this point. If you saw the Project Inspire film Unexpected, you'll, you'll see this topic top treated at much greater length, much better than I could ever explain it. But after so much destruction, they did not see so much outpouring of love ever in recent years. People who didn't know them, Yedidim and Chaverim, and whatever different organizations, Hatzala, IDF, they all came to help they took care of meals for so many so many days so many weeks and the other hotels took them in and restaurants popped up and people helped out people bought clothing people bought mattresses the beautiful outpouring of chesed after destruction what could be the consolation the of the jewish people in an example like surf the Achtus of the people of tragedy, God forbid. In my community, Loa of which one of the great rabbis here, just lost a child that was not even a couple of weeks old. The child from the beginning was fighting for life. And reading that news, hearing that news on Tisha B'Av itself, of course there's no coincidence, Hashkacha in a sad way. What better day, I guess, for Hashem to take away this precious little soul than on the saddest day of the year already. But there was such an outpouring of love from the community. People didn't know what to do. There was a a, a, a leviah on the day of. I felt like it was too difficult for us to make it, so we ourselves didn't make it. But hopefully, we can contribute a different way. The chesed committee at the shul had so many emails, so many comments. They don't know what to do with it. There's such a beautiful outpouring of love. After such tragedy, there's such... Ability for people to come together Unfortunately, a lot of times it takes tragedy For people to come together It should take only good things for people to come together It's smachot And good things And we should avoid tragedies You know the The outpouring of love that happens, really, a lot of times could be a tiny consolation. After my father passed, after my my brother passed, when I was 9 and when I was 20, respectively, do you know how many people came to the Leviathan for my dad? A thousand. Who knows? You couldn't even fit them in the shul. How many people came to Shiva to try to comfort my mom, to try to comfort my brother and my other brother at the time and me? How many people came for my brother's Leviathan and to try to comfort me and console me? And how many different outpourings of love was there? How many people made food? We should never know from such things. But after tragedy, a tiny, tiny consolation could be that people come together. Achdus. What was the time in recent American history when there was an outpouring of love and concern for one fellow to another that lasted a good couple of months? 9/11. 9/11. When three thousand people were killed, murdered by terrorists, when the when the planes went into the in the South Tower, the North Tower and went into the capital of the building, there was an outpouring of love I remember from the nation. There were flags proudly held on the cars, you know, people were, were talking to one another, were figuring out what to do, how to be a people, a united people in the country. Unfortunately, again, it only lasted how many months but those months it was beautiful i remember i was a little kid in eighth grade but i remember the outpouring of love the the waiting with bated breath as they searched through the rubble trying to find survivors trying to find the remnants of people even a limb so that a family can have a little bit of of closure you know how difficult it is to be in a limbo state we should never know from such things to not know here or there Surfside also, also many other situations also even if it's tragic and it's a travesty and it's destruction, to not have that closure is very, very difficult psychologically. A prisoner of war or missing an action person or soldier is very difficult for the family on many levels. You know, if at least the person was given back to the family alive, it should be Zoha, that it's always alive. But, lo, Elena, we should never know from such things you know, at least to have the ability to bury them, at least to have the ability to eulogize them, the ability to to give a proper memorial to them, to give a proper burial for them. But when they don't even have that, when it's in limbo, where where is the person? Is he here? Is he not? It's very excruciatingly mentally. And we should never know from such things. But on tiny, tiny level, a tiny, tiny level, not to compare, but lahavda, 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 you know, when someone's going through a difficulty, they don't know if the child's going to make it, miscarriage or not. They don't know if, if the pregnancy's going to make it or not. And unfortunately, we dealt with it a couple of times ourselves early on, you know, before we had our fourth one, Bar Hashem, all the kids should live and be well. But, you know, when you don't know if it's going to make it, it's a a difficult thing psychologically. And Allah has come of a comma, how much more so, when it's a living, breathing person after many years, you know, if there's a, a difficult situation, a tragedy, destruction, we don't know You know, you can't wrap your head around it psychologically. Someone who's missing for years, you can't wrap your head around it psychologically. How do you live? How do you go about your daily days? How do you go about your different things? It's very, very difficult. On some tiny consolation, some tiny level, if you have the person, at least you could properly go through the ability of the motions. You could probably give them a proper resting place. You could properly go through Shiva and Shloshim and the year. And Baruch Hashem, if they're alive, you could properly be reunited. But that in-between stage is very difficult. So the finality, havdil, lahavdul, Lahavdil, lahavdil, lahavdil of, of Hashem deciding where is it going to go? Are the people going to be good or are they not going to be good? Am I going to destroy or am I not going to destroy? Hashem decides to take out His wrath on the base of Migdash. At least we know where we stand. We know where we have to rebuild from. We know that we have to do better and do bigger and go better. We have to rebuild with Ahabat Chinam. Hashem took out His wrath. The consolation could be we know Hashem was upset. We know He took out His wrath. The wrath is gone because He took it out on the sticks and stones and the Jewish people are still here, Baruch Hashem. He go rid of our enemies time and time again with the Greeks and the Romans and the Persians and the Egyptians and, and the Spaniards and the Italians and the, the, the Germans and God willing, all the other Terrors against us and evil against us and enemies against us, Hashem to t- take care of us. Behold our v'dar, we say at the at the Seder. In every generation Hashem stands up and saves us, and he should always save us. The consolation could be that we're still here. We're still making a difference. And Hashem took out his wrath on sticks and stones instead of us. The consolation is that we know the finality. We're able to mourn and have avail us and have the ye- have the remembrance and have the yard site, if you will, of the base of Midrash every year on Tisha We're able to have that day to come to and actually think about what we lost and how we could rebuild. If it was here or there, it would be even more difficult, I believe, psychologically on some level. But you have to realize that even with destruction, there is rebuilding, and oftentimes it comes very closely afterwards. And you think about the miracle of the Jewish people, it's a consolation on some level that we were able to be so productive and so beneficial and so helpful to the world, you know, how many Jewish people are there? We also watched the film from Yoel Gold, Illumination, fantastic film. One of the questions he asks around the world, in London, in Los Angeles, in New York, in Israel, how many Jewish people are there in the world? He asks a lot of random non-Jewish people, and here and there, people are asking are answering crazy numbers. 35 million, 50 million, 2 billion, 5 billion. There must be a lot of them because they're everywhere. I see them all over the place. Do you know how many Jewish people there are in the entire world? People who really identify, according to the Pew study, as Jewish. There are 14.8 million Jewish people, those identifying as Jews above all else, in the world. The world has 7.95 billion people. Out of 7.95 billion people, there are 14.8 million people. As of 2020... That means the world's core Jewish population, those identifying as Jews above all else, according to my research, is 14.8 million. Do you know what that means percentage-wise of the entire world? We are not even 10%. We are not not 20, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. We are not even 8%. We're not even 5%. We're not even 1%. We're not even a half of a 1%. We are 0 2% 2% of the entire world population think about that for a minute 0.2% of the entire population isn't that crazy isn't that amazing 0.2% of the entire population yet we're so well-known everybody knows about the Jewish people they might not have met a Jew they might not have seen a Jew but they know about Jewish people They even know about random things. In the same question, what Jewish practices do you know about? One of them said the Sabbath. One of them said, I think they have something called the Pesach about the bread. Uh, Not the bread, the Pazza. I think they have a Sabbath. Random things, you know, kosher. They do something kosher. I myself have worked with non-Jews for many, many years now. Seven years. Twelve schools. More than twelve schools at this point. A lot of times there's a lot of misnomers. They don't really know a lot about Judaism, but they, they know something about Jews. They've met Jews sometimes. We're only 0.2%. So you can imagine what type of Jew they met. And they said, what do you mean kosher? Does that mean the rabbi blesses the food so you can eat it? What What kind of a situation would it be where a rabbi blesses... You think I take a rabbi with me in my pocket everywhere? That he blesses the food for me that I can have the Entenmann's here at work for my break? No, he doesn't bless the food. I explained to them, no, there's different aspects. You know, you have to have the proper machinery. You have to have the proper ability. You can't mix the meat and milk. You have to have the proper ingredients, kosher ingredients. It has to be certified kosher here in America with symbols. That OU is a good symbol, you see? The Jewish people are just 0.2% of the entire world population. I think when we think about where's the consolation now after Hormon, after destruction, just the fact that the Jewish people are here, that we're thriving and that we're contributing to the world and we do such, so many people do such good things to make the world a better place. A prime example of a kiddush Hashem, Eli Beer. the idea of the United Hatzel a beautiful TED talk he gives how we want to have the Jewish people and in the world respond in 90 seconds or less to be able to respond to a situation of medical emergency within 90 seconds and even faster in a metropolitan area within a minute and a half and sometimes up to three minutes, but really a minute and a half is the 90 seconds to respond to a situation with an ambu-cycle, with an ambu motorcycle, is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that's his contribution. There are many, many different contributions to the world in, in large ways, and small ways. You know, Waze was created by Jews, I believe. Google bought it. And many other things were created by Jews. I think Israelis created Intel technology and cell phone technology. There's so many different things they did. But we're such a minuscule amount of the world. But we have made such a difference, even though we're a tiny, tiny part of the population. 0.2%. And it's really all about the miracles because we are miraculous in nature that we're still here after time and time again people want to kill us, want to destroy us, want to get rid of us. David McGurney himself said, For a Jew to be a realist, you have to believe in miracles. For a Jew to be a realist, you have to believe in miracles. That's just the way of our nature. That's just the way of our life, the way that we are in this world. For a Jew... To be a realist, you have to believe in miracles. That's what it is to be a Jewish person. You have to believe in the miracles. You have to understand that we're living a miraculous nature. We're living a miraculous existence. The fact that we're here, that we're contributing to the world, we're doing for the world, we're giving to the world at just 0.2%. Just point two percent of the entire world. That's an amazing thing. 0.2% of of the entire world population. That could be the consolation, the fact that we're around, that we're thriving, we're contributing, we're making the world a better place, we're trying to be the Orlegoyim, the light to the nations, the illumination to the nations, the prime example of a role model, hopefully, to the nations, of course, there's going to be outliers, we can't help that. Of course, there's going to be some rotten apples, get out the rotten apples, to keep the good apples, but by and large consolation could be that Hashem took out his wrath, the destruction on a physical structure, but let us stay and let us thrive and let us be here for millennia. The consolation could be that there's more Torah learned on some level now than ever before in Jewish history. There used to be epic centers and epicenters of Jewish learning in Lithuania and in Valashin and in Poland and in Israel and of course in Bavo back in the day, Babylonia and Italy. Now in America there's so many Institutions, so many yeshivot. What is one of the first things that happen in a Jewish community? You build a shul, you build a school, you build a mikveh, and you have a base kanases, you have a base medrash. And in Israel, of course, so many, so many communities, so many learning, and with the advantage and the invention of technology, we talked a lot of this about the Tech Talk radio episode a couple of weeks ago. You have WhatsApp, and there are Torah groups on WhatsApp, Meaningful Minute, Sparks and Seconds, which one I'm affiliated with. You have Chesed groups like Community Luach, and and Tehillim groups on WhatsApp, you have mitzvah groups, you have mitzvah initiatives, you have Instagram accounts, and you have Pinterest accounts, you have Facebook, and you have messaging and emailing, and by and large, there's so much out there, so much Torah out there, Torah anytime, Chazak, YU Torah, OU Torah, Aleph Beta. Meaningful Minutes, Sparks and Seconds, there's so many, so many, I can't even think of them. Podcasts that are Jewish in nature, jewishpodcast.fm, then Yidpod. You have a Jewish internet kosher radio player, Naki Radio with thousands of of music and and Torah content channels. All these websites that have Torah content, esh.com, amazing, amazing website, chabad.org, Sepharia, a living, breathing, Jewish library at your fingertips where I get my sources for the shiurim all the time. It's an app. You have an app and you have a website ability. There's so much Torah learning that can happen. There's so many videos and movies and television shows and books out there. You want to read a book? Good! Get a Jewish book from Feldheim, from Art Scroll, from Anucha. You could literally sit, curl up with an amazing book that has Jewish content in nature on Shabbos on Yom on the Week and you could be in, developed in an amazing book. You could listen to an awesome podcast, watch an awesome video, watch an awesome movie that's Jewish in nature and you're soaking in the Judaism. And we hope to get the Jewish audiobooks. That's a big goal of ours that uh, that I've been working on for a long time especially with the, the, the help of other people and Yidpod, we're hoping that it'll happen too, you can listen to a Jewish book an audio book and be riveted by the story amazing more Jewish learning, that's the consolation on some level, there's so much Torah out there there's so much chesed out there there's so much mitzvahs being done out there there's so much learning going on out there more than ever in human history in Jewish history on some level, it's amazing that could be thinking about where's the consolation now that could be talking about where the consolation is now where is it now it's all around you it's all around us it's everywhere when we think about the destruction we think about what happened then we could think about where we have gone and where we are. Rebbiton Heller points it out better than I could say it on H.com. What words are there in human vocabulary that describe what happened in Auschwitz and Treblinka in Eastern Europe with, at the hands of the Yamashamams? In York, where a castle was burned along with Jews hiding inside, Lo Alenu. In Spain, where they burned people at the stake for the crime of being Jewish, Lo Alenu. We have not disappeared from the map. We have emerged from each confrontation with the vulture that seeks to consume us, shaken but alive whatever else we knew when we left the camps it was that we are and what we want to be cannot even remotely resemble what the germans have chosen to make of themselves what we are and what we want to be cannot even remotely resemble what the germans have chosen to make of themselves this is not to the holocaust but rather it was what prevented us from disappearing into babylon spain or greece or many other places in each instance We rediscovered ourselves by facing the mirror, rejecting the image we once thought was our own, knowing now beyond a shadow of a doubt, that is not our image, nor will it ever be. The month of Av is the time in which we confront this aspect of our history. As we move over to Tuba Av and beyond, we think about what is this month. The astral sign of the month is the lion. It symbolizes our encounter with raw force. Interestingly, the first day of Av is the anniversary of the passing of Aharon, Moshe's brother, who is known as the ultimate man of peace. Oh shalom, verod shalom, Metal me shal Aharon, Pirkei tells us. We're going to talk about this again. God willing, season six, starting in a few weeks on the TTPA, Tani talks Pirkei Avos, daily during the weekdays. Aharon was an ultimate man of peace. What this tells us is that although we may currently be distant from God, from our higher selves, ultimately there will be the peace that he envisioned peace that is based on the emergence of our higher selves and the part of us that is man not beast nothing can be further from this than the peace based on mutual fear that is all we can realistically aspire to if we see the current war in Israel or beyond without a historical frame talmud tells us the messiah will be born on the 9th of av this is the day in which both of the Batei macdashim were destroyed the spanish expulsion of the jews took place world war 1 the parent of world war 2 broke out What this tells us is that the same covenant, the same that promises suffering, promises redemption. There are two sides of one coin, labor and birth. The fact that we are here at all in the 21st century is nothing less than a miracle. That should be the key point to think about, the consolation of nowadays. The fact that we are here at all in the 21st century is nothing less than a miracle. We may never allow ourselves to forget what we have suffered. The fact that Hashem is committed to never allowing us to disappear does not exonerate those who have perpetrated history's worst crimes and evil against us. Their intentions were evil. Their choices were made consciously, and most significantly of all, their bestiality and their terribleness, their animalistic aspects, knew no bounds. We must... Not allow ourselves to forget who we are and why we have survived. We are Hashem's people with a mission to fulfill Hashem's bris. We aim towards living seamless lives, elevating the physical, having faith in Hashem. The fact that we are here at all in the 21st century, that we have not forgotten who we are, and that we are committed to continuing to live out our bris is nothing less than a miracle. The 15th of Av, Tuba Av, coming up in just a few days, was a time of joy. In ancient times, it was a day in which marriages were arranged New beginnings were celebrated. It was a time in which we began again, expressing not just who we don't want to be, but who we can be. May Av always bring us joy, fulfillment, and consolation on every level possible. Thinking about how we are here. We are a miracle, as Shweki sings about. We, in fact, are a miracle, and that should be consolation in and of itself. Where is the consolation now? By looking around you, thinking about the beautiful element of Eretz Yisrael, looking at the beautiful element of the continued existence of the Jewish people, thinking about the beautiful idea that Hashem took out His wrath on physicality and not on us. Slova Young Rice Wolf points out on H.com, there is only one consolation. We cannot allow these tormented souls and souls in general to have died or lived in vain. Each of us has a mission, a responsibility to persevere. We begin by not allowing their memory to wither and die. We must never forget or grow indifferent. Time robs us of our passion. Days pass and memories fade. As the generation who survived and bore witness to the murder of our people dwindles, the torches passed to us those who walked before us were willing to give all they had, even their very last breaths here on earth, so that we remain steadfast as a nation. Even a different generation were able to give up their jobs for the sake of Shabbos. Baruch Hashem, nowadays we don't have to do that, but can you imagine the mysterious nefesh, the pikuach nefesh. every week the employer would say, "If you don't come on Mon- if you don't come on Saturday, don't bother coming back on Monday. Can you imagine the onus of not having a job every week and having to endure that every single week? That's so difficult. We never have to know from such things, God willing. But that's something that a previous generation had to do. We have endured because we have held on tenaciously to our indomitable spirit, our deep roots, and our miraculous journey as a nation. We refuse to die. The world has tried to erase the Jews, but you and I are here today because defiance is woven into the spiritual DNA of the Jewish people. We hold the future of our nation in our hands. Live an inspired life. Stand up for your people. Connect to those who came before you. Tap into Jewish wisdom. Be a blessing. Know that the voices that were silenced will speak through you. Through me and through all of us. I just want to read a couple of sources to you about consolation. Very interesting. Different sources that come up thanks to the help of Safaria.org. Beratius talks about Noah himself. Why was he named that? They had difficulty with plowing and with planting and with cultivating and with being farmers. Noah comes along. Some say that he had web fingers. Some say he didn't have web fingers. The first one to have regular fingers. Noah was credited with inventing different farming materials. They say. He will provide us relief from our work from the toil of our hands out of the very soil which Hashem placed under a curse. Sometimes one person can change the world and bring consolation to the world. Why did the name Noach? Mabon points out in the Pusig? because... It's a change of attitude. The, nen, the nun, the chet, and the mem, it's a change of attitude. The way of consoling mourners, the mourn attitude changes from grief to happiness. It's also consistent with the idea of regret. As it says, this will make us regret. From now on, we will refrain from useless activities of no positive effect for the benefit of mankind, but actual plant and plow in a possible good way, in a positive functional way, with an invention of a tool. Megillah points out in 16b, when Yosef talks to his brothers, he comforted them, he spoke to their hearts, Vaye nachamehum, by comes from Vayechi, my Bar Mitzvah parsha. I believe. Rabbi Ben Bar Yafet said that Rabbi Elezer said, this teaches he spoke to them words that are acceptable to the heart, alleviated their fears. This is what he said, if ten lights cannot put out one light, ten brothers couldn't destroy one brother. As all of you were unable to do me harm, how can one light put out ten lights? If the Jewish people the lights of the world, the lights of the nations, were not able to be put out by the the Roman light, which passed and burnt out. The Greek light, the Greek torch, which passed and burnt out. The German light, Yemach which passed and burnt out. Who could put out the light of the Jewish people? We should never know from such things. God forbid. Machas <laughs> Vashalom. Hashem should always let our light light, but the light will not be put out. We think about Yosef not being put out by the lights of the other brothers, The other nations in history were not able to put out our light and that should be consolation to ourselves as well. Rashi says in Yeshaya, whom will I console you? Who will bring you to console you and say that also certain nations suffer in the same manner as you? There was a lot of suffering but there also was a lot of rebirth. There was a lot of renewal. Rabbi Yochanan Medzakai sees the destruction of the temple is coming is looming he feels it in his bones the baryonim are not letting people leave yerushalayim they destroyed all the supplies we talked about earlier gemar gittin talks about paints the amazing picture of yocham and zakai is a hero on many levels he decides i am going to take action i am going to roam how is he going to do that the baryonim are barring the entrance and the exit Rabbi Yochanan Benzaghi takes his talmidim. I believe Rabbi Yeshua. They carry him. He acts and pretends to be dead. He actually discussed with his nephew, who is actually the head Baryona who actually didn't agree with the He actually kind of agreed with Rabbi Yochanan, but he couldn't confront the barayonim. They had a discussion, and he says, "Pretend to be dead." So Rabbi Yochanan pretends to have an illness. They put a dead carcass in the in the in the coffin with him, and Rabbi Yochanan is carried out to the gates. They want to spear him to death to make sure he's dead. And the and the students say, "What are you doing?" The Romans are going to say you're killing him. They want to shuffle him to make sure he's dead to see if he's more dead weight than alive weight because alive weight is less than dead because you can't equal out the the liquids of the body. So what are you doing? You're shaking the Jew, the Romans are going to say. So Rav Yochanan is smuggled out. Some say that he smuggled to a cemetery. He makes it to Vespasian. Not a great person. He says, Peace unto you, king. Vespasian says I should kill you for two reasons because A, I'm not the king and B, if I was the king, why didn't you come till now? They have a discussion back and forth and someone comes and says, Vespasian, you have been voted the king because the Roman emperor has died. Vespasian is so impressed that he can't get a shoe on and then his shoe fits because Rav Yochanan tells him what to do to calm down by bringing an enemy in front of him, whatever. Vespasian is so impressed, he says, Rav Yochanan, ask me anything I will give it to you. Grant me whatever wish you want as if he's a genie. Rav Yochanan has the ability to ask for anything and the sages fault him because of not asking for more but Rav Yochanan felt that these were the best requests. They, They they say, what do you want? He says, what do you want? Rabbi Yochanan says three things. Give me Yavna and its sages, and this is explained better by Rabbi Foreman in one of his classes in the Aleph Beta. Give me Yavna and its sages. Give me Rabbi Gamliel's family, the house of Rabbi Gamliel, especially his son, and give me a doctor for Rabbi Sadok. <laughs> what? Why? Rabbi Yochanan felt that the, the Jewish people we're at a spiral. They're going to be kicked out of the land. He can't stop it. The destruction of the base of the English was coming. He can't stop that. Vespasian says, I'm appointing someone to go destroy the base of the English. Can't stop it. But Rav Yochanan felt the spiritual life force of the people. The consolation of the destruction will be the Torah. The life center of the Jewish people. The spiritual essence of the Jewish people was Yavne. Karim B'Avne. Why was it called that? Because the sages sat in Yavne. Beautiful learning. And they sat in rows like the, karm, like the vineyards. So he saved Torah by saving Yavne. He saved the royal house of the, of the house of Ben-David, which was what the Nasi would come from, from the house of David, or the Hillel house, I believe, also which descended from David, also saving the royalty line. And why, did, Sadag? The beautiful example of someone who sacrificed his whole life. He literally would fast for 40 years, maybe eating here and there, sucking out the juice of dates. His body was so emaciated, so withered that his organs, his limbs were basically null and void. That, is what Rabbi Yochanan felt the consolation was. I can't save everything, but I could save something. The Besamejur might be gone, but the consolation is that the Torah has been saved. The Torah is here with us. Art scroll and Feldheim, all these beautiful companies publishing beautiful works never before done since 1970s and before. Beautiful amount of Torah literature that's out there. That's a consolation in and of itself. Tol Bracha says whoever people like God likes him whoever people do not like God does not like him whoever likes his own deeds is a good sign for him Who doesn't like his own deeds is a bad sign for him Jewish people doing good things in the world the world will smile upon us also consolation Rabbi Ben-Azai would say when someone's mind is calm as a result of the wisdom they acquired it's a good sign someone's mind is not calm as a result of the wisdom they acquired it's a bad sign when someone's mind is calm the face of he wants, that's a good sign. Someone's want is not calm, it's a bad sign. When the sages look kindly upon someone, it's a good sign. Do what you can to do good things in the world, and that will be consolation to the Jewish people as well. Doing good things in the world, doing Mitzvahs and Chesed, that's consolation in itself. Be someone, as Perkalamus explains, easy to be appeased. Someone who doesn't get angry, easy. And someone who is appeased, easy to be consoled, easy. Be an easy person, easy temperament. Be someone that can. Help out the world easily. Baruchos forty three b talks about a Rav Zutram said. Rav said, and some say Rav, Rav Chana said. The Be, Bar Barbinza said. Rav Shimon Chasidus said, and some said Rav Yochaim said. And Rav Shimon Yochaim Ben Ben Yochai. Excuse me. Better to throw yourself in a fire furnace than to humiliate another in public. Where do we see this? From Tamar, the daughter-in-law of Yehuda, when she was taken out. We do what we can not to humiliate others. We do what we can to spread things into the world and to get away from sin of chinam, to rebuild the base of Midrash, the consolation, to see that it will come in our days, would be to have good ahavat chinam. Don't embarrass someone, even in public, even in private, especially online, which is like a public forum. Do what you can to have ahavat chinam in this world. The objective of the world, Brachos points out, as Rava says, is to have repentance and good deeds, to make sure not to become arrogant, not to spurn those around him, not those who are greater than him, those who are older than him. Make sure to have the proper wisdom and the proper going about in your life. And lastly, I want to point out two great Gemaras. This week's Haftorah is Nachamu Nachamu Ami from Yeshaya. Last week was Chazon, this week was from Nachamu. Hashem says, Comfort, comfort my people. Declare that you serve Hashem and Hashem will come back. You do good, you do mitzvahs, you do chesed, Hashem will get it back. Hashem will be consoled, we will be consoled. The Torah is vibrant, the, the Israel is, is sort of back. We're on the way to getting the base of interest. That should be comfort in and of itself. Lastly, I want to point out the very famous Gemara from Makos. The sages are walking on Yerushalayim, very, very famous Gemara, Macho, Machos 24b. Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva was walking with them. As they walk through the Temple Mount, they see the destruction. They live right after the destruction of the, of the, of the base of Migdash Hashanit. They see a fox walking around from the site of the Holy of Holies. They began crying, but Rabbi Akiva was laughing. "'What are you laughing?' they say to Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva says to them, "'Why are you crying?' they said the place that it was said a non-priest a non-coin comes here shall die foxes should walk in it and we should not be upset rabbi kiva says to me that's why i'm laughing as it is written when hashem said to yeshaya i will take the witnesses to a test oria and your zacharia the connection between oria and zacharia what's the connection he clarifies that oria prophesied during the first temple zacharia was the second temple the verse, the Pesach that established the fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah is dependent on the prophecy of Uriah. In Uriah it says, Your sake Zion will be plowed as a field, your shrine will become rubble. The Temple Mount, the base of Mikdash, the Har Abayis, Mount Moriah, will be a place of a forest where foxes are found. There's a rabbinic tradition that this was prophesized by Uriah. and the prophecy of Zechariah says, There shall be elderly men, elderly women, sitting in the streets of shalim until the prophecy of Uriah with regard to the destruction of the city, I was afraid the prophecy of Zechariah would not be fulfilled as they're linked. Now that the prophecy of Ori was fulfilled, it's evident that the prophecy of Zechariah is valid. The Gemara adds, the sages said to him, Akiva, you have consoled us. Akiva, you have comforted us. If the two prophecies are linked, if the destruction and the rebuilding are connected, then how could we not be consoled by seeing The prophecy unfolding in our face, in our days. If we see Orya's prophecy, we know there was destruction. We know there was Hurban. Yet, we see the prophecy of Zechariah in our day. There are elderly men and elderly women sitting, laughing, learning, joyous in Yerushalayim. In our land that was rebuilt in 1948 we see the people learning like never before in Eretz Yisrael we see the people living there making Aliyah and mess. how could we not have some consolation where is the consolation now living breathing proof is the Jewish people is the Jewish land is the rebirth of the Jewish people living in the Jewish land if Uriah happened Zechariah happens if Zechariah happened of course Uriah happened we see the destruction we see the rebuilding in our days and I want to leave us with that the consolation can be looking at the world around us seeing the world around us seeing what is happening around us the consolation could be that there is a Jewish people which is miraculous in and of itself we're only .2% of the entire world enemies came and tried to destroy us time and time again but they didn't succeed that in and of itself is the consolation number two The consolation is that Hashem took out His anger on the physicality and not on us ourselves. Hashem took out His anger, His wrath on the stones and woods and that's gone. But we're still here. We can have a relationship with Him. We could talk to Him. And three, the consolation could be the refuel before the Makkah, oftentimes how there was a rebu- rebirth, the rebuilding of Eretz Israel like never before. As Ori and Zechariah's prophecies are, are connected and we see so many people came back to Israel, so many people came back to Eretz Israel for so many years, so many people living there, we should all be Zohar to live there. The prophecy literally says there will be elderly men and elderly women sitting in the streets of Yerushalayim. All you have to do is walk four amos to see that literally breathing in our days in our lives. Yoshalaim was desolate for years. Mark Twain Lahavda walks in the eighteen hundreds and says, What is this land? It is arid, it is desolate, it is destroyed, it is not habitable, it is not plantable. Because every society, every door. Every generation of every culture that tried to cultivate it was unsuccessful. The Jewish land is meant for the Jewish people. It's not going to be green unless it's in our hands. And we see when the Jewish people come back with the first Aliyah, the second Aliyah, in the 1800s, the 1900s, when we came back in mass, the dream of Ben-Gurion and many others was to see the desert bloom. And in our days, you literally can see the miracle of the arid land turning into lush beautiful greenery, areas that would be impossible to inhabit, Hashem allows it to be inhabited because that's the fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah the the elderly men and women sitting and laughing in the streets, the land will grow green, Hashem promises when we come back, it'll be cultivated it'll be allowed to be planted it'll come to life How could we not feel some sort of some level of consolation knowing the miraculous nature of the land becoming reborn, the miraculous nature of us coming back and living in our land the miraculous nature of the Jewish people being alive, the miraculous nature of Hashem taking out His wrath on sticks and stones instead of us on some level hopefully we could feel some consolation where is the consolation now? It's all around us, it's in our lives we're in the Ikve Meshicha, we're almost there we're almost there, we just need that proper relationships, proper services of Hashem, proper proper aspects of living life, not being in an in-between stage, and understanding what to do, how to live, how to give back. If we could have proper avadchinam, understand, really cultivate our love for the land and Eretz stroll and our love for one another, avadchinam, we could truly feel full consolation with the coming of Mashiach and the building of the Basin Mishra. We may be maybe speedily in our days. We no longer need a, a tishbav, and we should be zochah not to have another tishbav, and we should be zochah Mashiach come speedily in our days and may that day in fact be today. This has been Tani Talks Radio where we talk a topic for the week for the audience members to keep joining us next time here on Tani Talks Radio brought to you by Sheer Enjoyment Radio powered by Radio.com and I'm your host, Tani.